Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. A very warm welcome to this edition of uh, Mansa's The Weekly Beat. I'm Arnold Segawa, joining you from Johannesburg in a very, very cold winter, snow in the Eastern Cape, everything you would have thought Santa came with only in July. As always, I'm not alone. I'm joined by our resident, uh, I want to say panelists, but uh, they're discussants and co-hosts. Dumi Jere, also in Johannesburg, I'm hoping is very warm. And uh, Maggie Mutasi, half the time, I'm not sure where she is. Maggie, happy birthday. Let me start with you. Thank you. I feel so special. <laughs> you are special. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, Arnold, I can't believe you keep saying this. Half the time, you don't know where I am. I'm in Nairobi. Oh, oh yes. And the other half, you're traveling this very beautiful continent that the rest of us are yet to actually traverse. Uh, Dumi, <laughs> uh, how's it going? How's, uh, how's it going in uh, Jacob Zuma land? <laughs> no, it's going all right. The vaccine is now gathering more steam now so that is very very good and i think there's been lots of uh, good reception from um, the 35 year olds to the 49 year olds because that's the cohort that's getting vaccinated in south africa now so yes a lot of uh, uptake on that um, so hopefully south africa's vaccination program will show positive results going forward now uh, obviously, for some of our listeners who might not be uh, cognizant of uh, the, the whole vaccine rollout, uh, South Africa has been cutting the ages, obviously, starting from 60, then 55, then 50. It's been kind of an age-driven uh, program. And now they've uh, reached the 35 uh, age bracket that uh, some of us are not yet in. Uh, of course, me and uh, Maggie. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, today is not a day to uh, delve into uh, vaccines. Um, now let's uh, take it a bit uh, up north to Ghana, uh, where just a few weeks ago, Toyota actually launched auto assembly plant in the country in less than a year. And uh, President Nana Kufuado actually uh, looks like uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's getting things done away from uh, attacking other uh, sovereigns. Uh, the assembly unit is uh, close to 7 million US dollars with an annual production capacity of around 1,330 units. Uh, this following, of course, Volkswagen. Uh, they also have a plant that's uh, about 5,000 units per day uh, that was launched uh, in August 2020. Maggie, uh, you've been around East Africa. Ethiopia has a few plants, uh, Chinese plants, uh, Rwanda, Volkswagen. Just give me your two cents on uh, this particular development. I think it's always a very good development, especially when it comes to manufacturing for a continent that talks about opening up its markets. There's going to be um, factories, industries to leverage on. We can't talk about opening up when we have nothing to trade. So it's a good step. Nevertheless, the question is usually, are we ready for such massive infrastructure? It's great to see Toyota opening up in the past, like you've mentioned opening up in different markets in Rwanda, Kenya, South Africa. They invested about 20 million US dollars um, in 2018 in Rwanda. Now, I feel like it's the same model, assembling cars. But uh, I don't know in terms of um, return on investment or in terms of uh, creation of jobs and all of that, the sustainability and how this really works. Now, 
The Volkswagen plant in Kenya, for example, where I am, was massive when it was launched, I think, in 2016, right before Rwanda. And it's a plant that even when we covered the news, you could feel like, okay, this is a game changer. Until now, I don't know how many people really drive Volkswagen. So it's a great, great, great investment. But is it realistic? The African market, I think, uh, is probably waking up and showing its true potential. And uh, like Maggie is saying, that's why we're seeing, you know, the VWs, the Nissans, the Toyotas, the Hondas, the Peugeots and so forth. Even I think uh, GWM, I think it's called from China. It's showing Africa's potential essentially because um, this market, uh, the car sales market has predominantly been um, dominated by used car sales. And uh, Ghana is not an exception. Uh, Like in most African countries, you'll see a variety of used Japanese cars, uh, some still working well, some not so much. So the launch of, uh, you know, this Toyota plant in Ghana will likely reduce imports of secondhand vehicles. In so doing, it will boost um, the export earnings. How far this will actually materialize, we're not sure at this particular point, but, uh, you know, we always try to take a positive view. And uh, we're mm. choosing to say it's going to boost the export earnings. It's going to make sure that, uh, you know, the foreign currency that is usually used to buy the secondhand cars from Japan and uh, UK and all those other countries will stay in the country and be put to use for other things. If a Toyota is able to manufacture good, reasonably priced cars, then I think it will be a very good game changer in the country. I have a question though, you know, I really want to understand this. And I like that, Dumi, you've brought it up, that there's lots of secondhand cars across the continent. Is it when such plants are set up, is it really for export or for local consumption? Because also we have to really understand that these cars assembled within the countries are not the cheapest. In fact, they usually cost much more money than sometimes importing in a car, for example, from Japan. Is it really affordable? Let me give an example. So say, uh, I mean, you know, obviously in South Africa, there's a a BMW plant, uh, a Mercedes-Benz plant, and so on and so forth. So how usually some of these things work is that, say the Mercedes-Benz US market, they will put out a request to say they want maybe a certain model of a Mercedes-Benz. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, let's call it a C200, yeah? Then the different countries where their Mercedes-Benz plants across the world, they will sort of bid to then say, we can produce that much. Mm. So then when you then go to uh, the plant in Port Elizabeth, in well, it's no longer called Port Elizabeth, to the Mercedes that's there, they will actually be producing cars that will be destined for the European market or the US market. So you get there Uh and you see at the port, it's left-handed cars that are being loaded. Lots and lots and lots of them. So that tells you that obviously they were not producing for the local market. Maybe that was um, for, for that production line. They were just specifically targeting the foreign market. So if we take it to the Ghana example, because Toyota will be there, then that probably means that Toyota could actually then bid to produce some of the cars that will go for other export markets. In turn, uh-huh. that will then earn that country uh, some foreign currency, I mean, yeah, from those exports. So uh-huh. when we're talking of exports, I think that's where it fits in. Uh, but like I mentioned earlier on, 
if they're able to also bring certain other smaller models that are reasonably priced and can compete with the Japanese cars, then it makes a bit more sense. But to say they'll keep a production line at uh, the high end, for example, Toyota Land Cruiser, and hope that they're going to service the Ghana market, mm, not necessarily. I mean, uh, Dumi, you do raise uh, some interesting points there. And this brings me to... um Rwanda. We remember when Volkswagen uh-huh. actually opened the plant in Rwanda, the VW plant. I mean, they were not making the Tiguans and uh, the high-end Volkswagens. You know, they were not making Passats for that reason. You know, they mm-hmm. went in with a, a relatively priced Volkswagen and still one would have thought these are being pushed out across the country, across East and Central Africa as the plan would have been. But, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, um, still, these cars are relatively more expensive. Maybe you could just touch that. But didn't I see them the other day pivoting to now electric tractors? The other day, I think I saw something about, along those lines. Uh, I mean, maybe the cars are not working and uh, maybe. Africa is maybe. an agricultural <laughs> continent now. Uh, uh, well, this could actually go on for another uh, 30 good minutes. Uh, but I want to uh, touch on the trade aspect. Um, my biggest issue with uh, some of these plants is uh, really on one side, I'm sitting on the fence because as opposed to opening up a plant that assembles, uh, when the rules of mm-hmm. origin are very, very clear, this car will never be made in Ghana. Um, uh-huh. Why? Because uh, over, what, what, 60% of the car is actually um, just hold in, you know, the engine blocks. Uh-huh. And this is a problem that Morocco had. Still, um, if these cars are not being actually made like the essential components, then the rules of origin just do us no good. Still, a car could Mm -hmm. be assembled in Ghana or in uh, Port Elizabeth, as maybe the name changed. Uh, It still shows that it is a car made in Germany or in Japan. Uh, Isn't it better for us to actually address the issue around um, spare parts and, uh, um, as they call it, in technical lingo, that would be around, uh, well, the ITC, uh, the International Trade Organization, we're, we're looking at close to HB805, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't it better for us to actually address that as opposed to uh, um, looking at uh, 708, which is the component um, for for trade as opposed, which is spare parts, because these would be actually registering as made on the continent. I think you raise a very important point, uh, Arnold. And um, in perspective of trade or even as Africa really opens up, I just feel like we are opening up to the rest of the world indirectly while directly thinking we're actually opening up to the rest of Africa because our manufacturing capacity is really low. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things for me that really lingers a lot. If we say we want to trade with each other, what are we going to trade? when barely nothing is made on the continent. Uh, It's either assembled or either imported in and then sent to different markets. Like you've mentioned, even the assembly cars, it's a good thing. I feel like for me, Ghana is really an exciting place opening up to different uh, big companies, startups like Twitter and now, you know, the assembling plant. But again, like you mentioned, it's not going to be made in Ghana. It's going to be assembled in Ghana. And 
that for me, I feel like takes away our potential to negotiate, to say it should not just be assembled. It has to be made here. But maybe there is a starting point. But yeah, I just feel like the rules of origin, even with the FCFTA, is one of the biggest components that countries like Nigeria were very skeptical about. And it's something that really needs to be rediscussed deeply. Okay. So I think that's on the one hand. Uh, I think a different angle, though, would be to say perhaps it results in call it what, job creation, right? Because when you look at the world, the world is a global place, right? So at the end of the day, as a business person, you look at where are the costs lower for me to actually be able to manufacture something, okay? So if I've got, say, for example, let's say I'm in IT, right? And I'm looking for a developer and a developer Mm. in South Africa is charging me 40 US dollars per hour, but one Mm. in Philippines is charging me $8 an hour. Uh, mm-hmm. if I give the job to the one in Philippines, am I really exploiting that one or I'm just going with where it's lower costs for me? So maybe Africa's costs are just lower and these companies are seeing that. And that's why they are now putting their plans in Africa and saying, okay, let's put it there. The labor force is probably lower. The cost is probably lower vis-a-vis uh, Europe or Americas and so forth. So a bit of a catch-22, I guess. Arnold? I think uh, going forward, uh, we need to address this from a trade perspective. And uh, that's uh, where mm. my uh, lovely friends at the African Union come in, who I think uh, are just enjoying the amazing uh, view of Addis. Um, because until we address the issue of rules of origin, this is a problem that uh, the likes of Pojo have uh, uh, walked out with, uh, you know, the Moroccos of this world. Mm. North Africa is actually looking very good because all they have to do is cross the Mediterranean. And uh, guess what? They're in Europe. So they're actually producing cars mm. for um, the huge uh, European market. But um, they were, uh, the conditions are very tough. You know, you're giving questions like, is the engine actually made in Morocco or not. If we're to say, okay, jobs are being created, what kind of jobs are being created? It's like opening up a huge, huge, you know, a hundred floor building in a country. And then you say that, oh, we're giving jobs to janitors, you know, people who will clean, but (laughs) all the technical expertise is actually going to the same people who uh, were your colonialists to start with. So until engines are made, until carburetors are made, until direct ejectors are made, because guess what? It's almost impossible to make a car without um, having different components from other people who are actually outsourced. So until we get a piece of that cake, I don't think we're winning because at the end of the day, you're going to ship in whatever you need, a steering wheel uh, from Kazakhstan, Uh, leather seats from uh, Guam. Uh, You're going to get an engine from Toyota itself, which up to this day is not really able to actually uh, uh, share some of this information. And guess what? All we do, we're the janitor, we're the guy who just assembles, put this and the other together. I don't know if we're adding any skills to our continent, which let's face it, 
has a median age of close to 18 years. Um, so many questions there. At the end of uh, 40 years of assembly, all we'll know how to do is uh, replace wipers. But that's just my two cents, ladies and gentlemen. Let's leave it there. Uh, we've run out of time. Um, as always, uh, if you missed anything in the course of the day, just visit the website mansamedia.africa. On Twitter, we're at uh, mansa underscore media from me and the entire gang. Have a lovely week. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa.